You're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly guide to science and innovation. Hello, I am Marek Inhat Panhos. And I'm Leo Stevens. And welcome to The Brief, where we cover two concepts from science and business. Hey, Leo. What have you got for us today? So today I wanted to cover a couple of terms that you might see in an investor agreement, the tag-along and drag-along rights. Now to set the scene for this, I should say first that startup investments are illiquid, meaning there are not many opportunities to buy and sell shares. This can leave investors holding shares that they would be happy to sell or for transactions to occur that not everyone participates in. However, Whilst startup company shares don't trade often, when they do trade, it's often during a major event like a trade sale, when the company is being acquired by an industry player or a new investor. Tag-along and drag-along rights are type of shareholder rights that are designed to ensure that all shareholders can participate in the sale of a company together. How tag-along and drag-along rights differ is in terms of which party gets to decide who joins the sale, and who doesn't. Specifically, Tagalong gives minority shareholders the right to join a sale that has been negotiated by a major shareholder, the right to tag along with the big shareholder. Meanwhile, Dragalong gives the majority shareholder the right to force minority shareholders to join a sale, to drag them into a sale that's occurred. Ultimately, both tag-along and drag-along rights ensure that the sale of a company will proceed as a block and give the new owners confidence that they can acquire a startup company in full rather than having to negotiate with each investor individually. So drag-along sounds like a dictatorship. Tag-along sounds a bit more like a democracy. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly where the power sits. So drag-along, the power sits with the big player and tag-along, the power sits with the small guys. It's not necessarily a democracy because people are still deciding for themselves, I guess, whether to, to join or not. Um, it's not a, a voting system. So you could get 80% of the people joining the sale and 20% still deciding not to with tag along. Um, it doesn't guarantee that everyone will join, whereas drag along basically it, it can. It, it does guarantee that it will trade as a block. Do shareholders sign up to either one of these schemes? So in any startup investment, the investment will have obviously the, you know, the price of the shares, but it will also be tied to a term sheet uh, and a shareholder agreement. And, and that is where these kind of clauses will be included. And it's a package deal. If you're accepting the investment, you're also accepting the term sheet and the shareholder agreement. There is room for negotiation as part of the investment process, but basically once an investment is being finalised, all of these things are accepted together by the investors and the company. What may I find on a term sheet? So term sheet is, is mostly to do with the financial aspects of the deal. So that would be, you know, how many shares you're receiving, if they come immediately or if they vest, the, the kind of cap table of, of the company, so who else is investing. Whereas the shareholder agreement is a lot of the other more, I guess, peripheral things, including these tag-along and drag-along rights. And... Can you go over illiquid again, illiquid shares? Yeah, so, I mean, liquidity is a term that's applied to all investments. Uh, it, it basically means how easy it is to buy and sell something. 
So real estate is somewhat illiquid because it takes quite a bit of time and energy to buy or sell a house. You can't just walk down the street, go to the shops and pick one up off the shelf. Whereas shares are much more liquid in the case of public companies because on any given day you can go to the share market and you can buy and sell the shares that you have. Even though the price might be good or bad, there is almost always someone in the market ready to buy that. The most liquid investment is cash. You can just have cash in your bank account and it's universally accepted and traded for all sorts of different products all the time. So liquidity is how easy an asset is to transact, essentially. Great. And how does this work for startup shares? How do people value something that is part of this? Is that when you shareholders sign up for tag along or drag along, do they agree on a value of the company or is it just purely determined by the value of the share? So is there a difference between the share value and the what investors might, might think the company is worth? Well, in the case of Tagalong and Dragalong, you're talking about small companies. They're not companies that are traded on the share market. So in this case, it's about a big investor having negotiated a sale price already with, with another party. And then it's the other investors deciding whether they want to join that sale. So the terms will be whatever was negotiated by the majority shareholder. Um, and that's what the other minority investors are deciding whether they will join or not. Okay. Anyway, let's move on to the research topic, Mark. What have, what have you got? Well, today I want to talk about tenure. So tenure is defined as an indefinite permanent appointment at a university that can only be terminated in extraordinary circumstances, which I discussed in a previous episode on hiring and firing. My dictionary actually defines it as a status granted after a trial period to a teacher that gives protection from summary dismissal. So in the United States, this trial period is actually part of something that is called the tenure track process, where academics are hired on a contract and given a period of time, usually five years, to demonstrate performance in teaching, research, and service. And after a review by their colleagues and satisfactory performance, the academic is then granted tenure and a permanent position. And if successful, an academic on the tenure track system will start as an assistant professor and will usually become a full professor after 10 years. Australia is a little different in this regard. For a start, we don't really have an institutional tenure track process. Academics can be hired in a tenured position either based on history or prophecy. And alternatively, they can be hired on a fixed-term contract. However, there is no guarantee or institutional formal process with a fixed timeline that will convert their fixed-term position into tenure. And these are, very briefly, the key aspects of tenure. So, I mean, I've heard about this term in various forms. Clearly, getting tenure is very attractive to an individual staff member because it, it provides a lot of leverage over your employer in terms of being able to, I guess, do the kind of work you want at the time that you want by virtue of the fact that it's hard for you to be fired. Are there any downsides to tenure from the perspective of an individual? Not really. I mean, you can still, you will have a contract that states what your notice period is. So I guess one downside is generally if you're a tenured researcher and if you have a teaching responsibility, 
you have to give one terms teaching term notice before you can leave. You can't just resign and then leave within four weeks. So let's say a teaching term is generally perceived to be maybe 16, 17 weeks if you take exams into account, a little bit longer if you include the markings. So if somebody wants to leave, they have to decide carefully when they actually want to leave. And from the perspective of the employer, the university, on the flip side of this, it seems like a pretty big negative why would they do without the flexibility of being able to dismiss somebody they think is non-performing? Well, you get a long-term binding of that particular person to your university and it, it gives a, a certain protection to large movement of staff because certain research programs that some of these teaching and research academics carry out take years to develop. And obviously, if a academic who is tenured has a large number of grants awarded to them, they're less likely to leave. Whereas if they didn't have that commitment from the university, they might say, hey, guess what? I'm leaving and I'm taking my grant money with me because a lot of the grant money is awarded to a researcher. And, and final question. In my understanding, there's been a, a kind of cultural shift away from tenure over the last few decades. Is that your understanding? And, and why do you think that might be? Oh, that's absolutely true. And we have another whole episode that's going to deal with what is called the casualization of the academic workforce. That's obviously to remove the financial liability that a university have on paying academic staff members. If they're just casuals or fixed term, that means the university doesn't have to make a long-term financial commitment because strictly by the rules, there's no end date on a tenured position. Usually academics decide to retire at some point. Right. Okay, well, we should wrap up the episode now. Thank you for that, Mark, and we'll see you all next week. See you next week, Leo.